you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts chapter 13. We'll be in, uh, uh, we'll start in verse 13 through the end of the chapter. And I just, I know we prayed a bunch today. I just want to pray again before I try and, uh, and preach the word. So Lord, um, I always need you. God, we always need you. And this moment is no different than any other moment, Lord. I can't, um, I can't just talk about your word and, and, and shape hearts like you do. I can't, um, I, as hard as I can try to explain truth from your word, God, I, I, can't, I, I can't have it penetrate our hearts and our minds. Lord, you give us ears to hear your word. Lord, I, I pray uh, for those of us in the room, for those that are watching online right now or, or maybe later this week, um, God, would you have our attention Lord, would we, would we just be ready? Um, even if we didn't come in to the room ready, would, would we be ready right now to, to hear? Holy Spirit, would you teach us? Would you illuminate your word to us? It's in your name we pray, amen. Well, as you're turning to Acts 13, I want you to imagine that God gives you an opportunity, this open door to share the gospel. So uh, I know... Uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas are coming up, so perhaps, uh, perhaps you're going home to to have Thanksgiving or Christmas with uh, your family. And you, uh, let's say, you didn't grow up in a Christian home, and and since moving away from home, maybe it was in college, maybe it was at a job, you heard about Jesus. Right, the gospel was was shared with you, and and it made sense. You realized that that the gospel is true. That you did need Jesus. So you have come to faith in Christ. You've been living for Christ since then, and and now you come home uh, to celebrate Thanksgiving or Christmas with your relatives. Um, and it's not just mom and dad and your siblings. It's there's aunts there, there's uncles, there's cousins, grandparents. Are there even even maybe some family friends, and you're just getting ready to sit down uh, to the, the dinner table, and 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 you are you are excited about this meal. You are you are salivating, ready. And someone just before, and, and your family's never done this before, but someone says, "Hey, you're a Christian now. Why don't you pray for the meal?" And to much of your extended family, this is actually news. They had no idea that you were a Christian. You think, okay, yes, I will pray. So you lead the family in prayer. And you, you say amen, and, and, and you just kind of get back to the normal, uh, I don't know, rhythms of, of, of a holiday together. And then at some point, maybe it's an aunt, maybe it's a cousin, they say to you, hey, when did you become a Christian? How did that happen? And everyone's listening. What would you share? What, what would you speak uh, about Jesus? Or, or maybe here's another scenario. Maybe you're a student. You're in a world religions class. And, and through the semester, your class has read about all kinds of, of different religions in the world. You've read about their beliefs and, and how they attempt to live out those beliefs. You've heard about Islam. You've, you've studied uh, about uh, Buddhism and, and Hinduism and uh, various folk religions. You've heard um, about Judaism 
and you were encouraged uh, the day when you got the syllabus. You didn't know what this class would be like, but you were encouraged to see that there was going to be a section on Christianity. On uh, your professor, uh, each each week, uh, they've actually brought in. She brought in someone that that believed this, right? That it was uh, a Muslim or or a Hindu, um, and and you've been praying for and anticipating the day when when there will be a Christian that comes in and speaks to the whole class. Right at the secular school about Christianity, you've been praying for whoever this person uh, is. Right, that 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 your professor that she'll find uh, someone who really loves Jesus. Right, someone that can can clearly articulate the gospel. And then it comes to that day, your professor welcomes the class and explains that unfortunately the Christian that was supposed to come that day uh, had something come up that they unfortunately just could not get out of, and, and you are disappointed. And then she asked the class, is there anyone here who is a Christian that maybe would share? And, and you are just in shock that this is happening right now. You're like a deer in the headlights. And before your brain can even start like moving again, a couple of your classmates who know you go to a Christian church, they're, they're looking at you. And, and, and you haven't figured that out yet, but your professor noticed. And, and the professor says to you, are you a Christian? And you nod. And then she says, would you like to share with us about what you believe? And you say, yes. Right? You'd been praying that God would provide someone that would clearly share about Jesus. And now you realize that you were praying for you. That was very sneaky of God. So what would you share? Where would you begin what, what fears might you have to tackle in that moment as you share about Christ? Well, Paul and Barnabas, they're given an open invitation to share the gospel. And I'm going to read the passage to you, and it is a long passage. Um, but, but as Paul gets into, he's, he's going he's gonna to start really quickly with, with, with the story of God's people. I want you to be looking for how, how does Paul show us, how does he tell that audience then and us as an audience today about God working throughout history. So let's pick up in verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in, in uh, Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. That'll be a big deal later in Acts, uh, verse 14. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up motioning with his hand. Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years, and after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. 
of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read, uh, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it was written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another Psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God, uh, in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astonished and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after, uh, and after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So Paul 
and his team, they set sail. They end up in Antioch. And it's a little confusing um, because it sounds like they just left Antioch, right? If you were with us last week. Well, there was a man whose name escapes me, but his father was Antiochus. And he decided, I want to name a city after my dad. So I'm going to call it Antioch. And that went so well that he named another city after his dad. And he called that city Antioch. And then there was another, and another, and another. 16 times this man did this. So if you get frustrated when there's like five different valley streets in Camus, it's okay. We don't live with a bunch of Antiochs. So in Antioch, they went to the synagogue. And the synagogue's not the temple, right? Think more of like a neighborhood church. And there was a scripture reading from the Hebrew Bible. And the rulers looked to Paul and Barnabas, and they said in verse 15, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Right? This is obviously work of the Lord. This is an open invitation. And, and there's speculation, like maybe they'd heard of Paul, right? Maybe they heard that, that this man is a Pharisee. He studied under the great Pharisee Gamaliel. Maybe they wanted to hear what this pupil uh, of the great Pharisee would have to say. But whatever their thinking was, this is God opening a door for the gospel to be shared. So Paul stands up and he addresses the crowd, right? He says, men of Israel and, and those who fear God, right? These God fears are not, uh, they're not full on proselytes. Uh, they're, they're not full converts to Judaism, but they wanted to know more about God. You might remember Cornelius from a, a few chapters back. He was described by Luke in this same way as a God-fearer. And maybe you're here today, uh, or maybe you're watching online, and, and you're not ready to call yourself a Christian, but maybe you would put yourself in that camp as this, this God-fearer, someone that wants to know more about Jesus. You want to understand more of what he taught. You're trying to wrap your mind around why Jesus would die on the cross for sin. You believe that God is real and you're seeking him. So Paul's speaking to both the Jews and these God fears, and he starts with the history of God's people. And on the one hand, it is the story of God's people. But God is the star of this story, as we see. Paul makes that very clear. Look how many times he, he directly connects the history to God being at work. Verse 17, he says that God is the one that chose Israel. It wasn't because they were great. It wasn't because they showed a lot of promise. No, God, God out of his love, chose them. In the middle of uh, verse 17, it says that God made the people great, right? Great in number. It, it wasn't that in Egypt, Israel found a way to significantly increase the birth mortality rate. No, this was God increasing the size of his people. In verse 17, it says that God lifted, with uplifted arm, he saved them from Egypt. He saved them from slavery. This is them being freed by God's power. In verse 18, it says he put up with them in the wilderness. Right? Sometimes he puts up with us. huh? He, he dealt with their whining, complaining voices. He dealt with them misremembering, thinking that it was actually better for them back in Egypt. In verse 19, it says he's the one that conquered seven nations for them. Also in 19, it says that he, he's the one that gave them the land of Canaan. This is not their doing. This is God gifting it to them. Verse 20, it reminds us that, that God gave them judges right, to, to save Israel. And this was not simply great leaders rising to power. No, this is God working. This is God intervening in their history. In verse 21, 
They asked for a king. So what did God do? He gave them Saul, the Benjamite. Verse 22, he also removed Saul. In verse 22, it also tells us that he gave them David, who was a nobody. He was a shepherd. Right? He, had, he had no right to be the greatest king. Verse 23, from David, God brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, which he had promised to do. Verse 24, he talks about John, who, who came and, and, and was, was, uh, was paving the way for Jesus. And look at what Paul does here with, with John's own words, pointing away from himself and to Jesus. He says, one's coming after me, one whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Right? I'm not worthy to, to stoop down and, and touch the, the dirty, sweaty feet of Jesus so I can untie his sandals. That's, that's far too above my pay grade. Verse 26, Paul says to us, this message of salvation has been sent, implying that God is the one who made sure to communicate with us what we need to know in order to be saved from sin. He's the one who could send the message because it was his design. This was his way. This was his plan. Through Jesus, he made a way for us to be made right with God, for us to be forgiven of sin, for us to, to be reconciled with our creator. He made he made, he made evident to us, clear to us, the good news. Verse 27, God was working through those who, who didn't know him, who didn't understand the, the message of the prophets, even though it was read every Sabbath. And, and what they did was they fulfilled what he had planned by condemning Jesus. Paul tells us this is no accident. This is God at work. Verse 29, they carried out everything that he said. They killed him. They buried him. As Peter said, in Acts 2.23, he said, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And then verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. Paul wants us to understand really clearly that this is God who's been at work from the beginning. He was not scrambling when sin entered the garden. He was not baffled by Israel's continuous disobedience. This, this was not this, this scrambling to figure out, okay, uh, we need another plan. Let's send Jesus. No, Jesus was always the plan. God was always at work. This is God's story. And in another way, this story is your story too. Now, I don't mean that you are the star of the story. That is God. But, but I do mean that, that even though uh, I'm assuming most of us, maybe all of us are not ethnically Jewish, this is still your story when you place your faith in Jesus. Our scripture tells us that by faith in Jesus, the son of Abraham, we become sons of Abraham. So he addresses the Jews and the God-fearers. And, and Paul, Paul isn't just on his own making room so that anyone can come to know God. No, this is what God has done. This is what God has done for you. He didn't just do this you know, a couple thousand years ago. No, this is, this is also for you. This is a way for you and I to be saved. And it's interesting, we're 13 chapters into Acts now, and we've seen the gospel shared a, a number of different times. Um, and, and there are so many different starting points. I don't know if you've noticed that, but uh, like in Acts 2, Pentecost, right? Remember the Christians, uh, Holy Spirit comes down, they're speaking in tongues, a crowd forms just trying to make sense, like what is going on here? Some people are saying, oh, they must be drunk. So this is how Peter opens up his message 
You know, these people aren't drunk as you suppose. And then he quotes from Joel and then gets in to talking about Jesus. In Acts 3, after healing a man who could not walk, it causes quite a commotion. So Peter starts with the God of the patriarchs and then goes straight to the crucifixion of Jesus. In Acts 4, his starting point for his gospel speech is good that was done to this crippled man. In Acts 7, Stephen, in his speech, before he was martyred, he starts with the call of Abraham. You remember uh, Philip with the Ethiopian in the chariot. This, the Ethiopian is, is reading from, from Isaiah, and he says, I don't know what this means. Can you explain it? So that's where Philip starts. He starts in Isaiah and, and then launches into the good news. And Paul here has a different starting point. He, he begins by telling the history of God's people, which is God's story. There are many, many starting points to share the gospel from. But what's key is that they all end up in Jesus. And we see that here with Paul, right? Jesus is the climax of the story. And I don't know if you ever hold back as a, as a believer when, when, when there's an opportunity to share the gospel because you're afraid that you won't know what place to start in. But what matters most is that we get to Jesus, that we talk about Jesus. One way that Christians fail today is by never talking about why Jesus came. Right? We're, we're good at talking about how loving Jesus is, which is true. We're good at talking about great miracles that he performed, maybe truths that he taught. Right? Maybe we talk about uh, how much he cared for the marginalized, which is great. But if we don't get to Jesus, the spotless lamb, if we don't get to the atonement, man, we've not shared the gospel. Now, I wonder here what was going through Paul's mind as, as he started. Right? Certainly as he's sharing the history of God's people, I'm assuming people are nodding in the audience going, yep, you got that right, yep. Yep, that's right. He nailed that. And, and I'm sure that that affirmation probably felt good. And I have no idea if this thought came to him, but I wonder if a thought that maybe we're so tempted by came to him. Right? Do you think, maybe I should just stick with, with, with what we all agree on? There, there's a lot of that today. Right? Let's just talk about the ways that we agree. And it is good. There is good to finding common ground, right? There, there's good to finding uh, bridges with people. I, I do not dispute that. But man, we've got to talk about Jesus. We've got to talk about what's different as well. I was invited several years ago um, by a, a club at Camas High School. I don't remember what the club was exactly. It must have been like a, a religions club. Um, they invited me and a, uh, a Muslim man, and we were invited to share what our religions uh, believed. And, and if my memory is correct, I think a goal of this meeting, or, or a major uh, goal of this meeting, was, was it that uh, people could hear about how Christians and Muslims are similar, where, where, where we agree, where we see things the same. Um, and, and, and for sure, there, there are good parts to that, but man, I also knew this is an opportunity to talk about Jesus, right? This is time to talk about salvation. So to do those, I had to explain differences. And uh, this Muslim man, super nice guy, I uh, really enjoyed meeting with him and talking with him. He went first, he explained basic uh, beliefs that, that, that all Muslims uh, do agree on, and he 
shared in, in his view how Christians and Muslims are, are similar. And, and I got up there and, and I, I kind of dovetailed off where he ended and, and talked about some similarities. But man, I just wanted to get to Jesus. I wanted to get to our need for him. So I, I, my starting point was uh, the story of the prodigal. And, and from there, I launched into sharing the gospel. And it, it would have been easy for me to just go in looking for common points. But as I prayed, I knew like I couldn't waste this opportunity to talk about Jesus. And Paul certainly gets to Jesus in his sermon. And, and there are three themes that, that I think jump out about Jesus here. One is his innocence. The second is, is that he is the fulfillment of these prophecies, right? This was God's plan. It was not a mistake. And then the third, and, and Paul really drives this home, is the resurrection, Right? The resurrection is crucial, uh, crucial. I think I was trying to say critical and crucial at the same time there. Critical, not a word. First, uh, first he speaks about his innocence in verses 27 and 28, right? That the people condemned Jesus as God said they would, even though he was free of guilt. Right? Pilate find, found no reason to kill him. Jesus was not like you and me. When faced with temptation, he never gave in. He always chose to glorify God in obedience. He didn't rebel against the Father like we do. He was not selfish. He did not use others. He not only kept his tongue under control, he kept his heart under control, even though he was mistreated and slandered. He didn't let his pride get the upper hand. He didn't take what was not his. He did not mistreat others. He lived without sin. He was innocent. Second, Paul makes this very clear that this was not a mistake, right? That, that his death was, was not a mistake, or in, and his living in innocence was not a mistake, right? This was not that finally some human like figured out the cheat code and could live without sin. No, this was God's plan to send his son, the, the one and only son who could and would live a perfect life. And Jesus was the fulfillment of what God had spoken through the prophets. He said he would do this. And then his third point about those prophecies included the resurrection. He hammers this home. He talks about it in verse 30, verse 34, verse 35, 36, 37. And it's because the resurrection is crucial. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 19, Paul writes, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. He's right. If the resurrection isn't true, there is nothing else that matters. There is no hope. But as Paul preached, the resurrection is true. It did happen. Verses 31 and 32. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. Right? When Paul preached this, there were still witnesses alive that, that, that could be talked with, witnesses that proclaimed the good news that God had promised, that he had sent the sin and death-defeating Savior. And if you uh, put yourself in that God-fearer camp, you haven't yet trusted in Jesus, but you're wrestling with Christianity, this is where you need to wrestle. 
Did Jesus raise? If not, it's a waste of time. But if you come to realize that he did raise, well, that changes everything. Paul shows us that, that what was prophesied about in Jesus, right, that he was the son of David, the, the greater David, verses 35 and 36 uh, from another psalm, it says, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. Verse 36, for David, after he'd served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. He was laid with his fathers and saw corruption, but he whom God raised up did not see corruption, right? This great King David, who, who the, the, the line of kings would come through and the ultimate king would come through, David died. He was buried. They knew where his tomb was. If you lived in Jerusalem, you'd probably seen it. And inside that tomb, the body of David rotted like every other dead person before him. But God didn't let that happen with Jesus, the son of David. Yes, he died, willingly sacrificed himself for sin, but God rose him on the third day. And verse 38 tells us what that means. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So a few observations from those uh, two verses. Paul makes it very clear that, uh, that forgiveness comes through Jesus, right? Through this man, forgiveness. And then 39, and by him, everyone who believes is freed. Forgiveness comes through Christ. It's not us doing all that we can, right? This, this notion that, that we do what we can to earn our keep with God and then God gives us grace after all our effort is expended. That's not what the Bible teaches. God's grace is needed because we do nothing to earn salvation. Similar to God choosing Israel, he saves people not because they're the best, not because they're the brightest, hate to break it to you, not, not, not because you have promise or because you could really add something to his kingdom. No, God gives grace not based on merit, but based on his mercy, on his love for broken people, right? Not us being the best version of ourselves, not us being better than most of our peers or enough of our peers to earn salvation. No, it's by faith in Jesus alone. The second observation that just jumps out is, is the salvation. The, the forgiveness of sin is available to everyone for everything. Right? And belief is the requirement. You can be from anywhere. You, you can have any combination of, of issues and, and, and sin, and it doesn't matter. What matters is turning to Christ, believing in Jesus. That's what God requires of you and, and, and uh, results in the last observation I'll make. And there's more observations that could be made in these two verses. But by believing in Jesus, we can be freed from, from sin in total. Right? Complete forgiveness from our sin. There was a time in American culture uh, where, where everyone, whether you went to church or not, even if you didn't live in the Bible Belt, uh, there, was, there was an understanding that our sin really was a problem. And, and over decades, this is, this is really dissipated. This has disappeared from Western culture. Our, our culture has shifted, pushing us to believe that whatever we, we do, whatever we want to do, whatever we feel is acceptable, as long as it doesn't uh, infringe on someone else, as long as it doesn't seem to hurt someone else. And I know there, there's more caveats to it than that. But, but the idea is whatever I feel, whatever I want, that's true for me. But when people are honest, we can feel that on our own, we're not 
right, that, that something deep within is wrong, and it's an issue that we cannot fix, right? That we're, we are broken, and, and we, we feel it relationally. We feel it in any number of ways. And, and this brokenness, I think we're seeing in, in our world just more and more extreme ways to try and change who we are, to try and, and, and fix what's going on. If you reject that you need to be saved, but you, you still know that, that there needs to be change, you're going to look for a way to change yourself. And, and our country is, is obsessed with ourselves. We're obsessed with, with changing ourselves from, from self-help books to health fads to things like Botox and, and other surgeries. And, and, and we're seeing it more and more with the, the lies about gender and, and trans issues. And, and our culture may not recognize the need to be saved from sin, but they do, whether they can verbalize, they, they feel the need. Something's got to change, and it's got to come from somewhere else because I can't do it. And that, that's a radical change, but that radical change is through Jesus. That radical change is through Jesus freeing us from sin, right? Freed from every wrong, freed from every evil, free from, from, from what I deserve for my selfishness, freed from the secrets of your past that you don't want anyone to know, freed from the ways that, that you treated people at one time that now you're just embarrassed by, freed from thoughts that you've had, freed from decisions that you'd rather no one know from your past. And this is what we have in Jesus is total freedom from sin and the results of sin. Isn't it interesting that Paul talks about Jesus here before he talks about sin? Because I think if, if we were to kind of map out, okay, this is how I'm going to share the gospel, most of us would actually get to the problem of sin before we get to Jesus, the solution. But, but Paul does it differently. I'm not, I'm not saying that, this is the, that Paul's way is the only way to do it. Certainly that's not true. But someone pointed this out to me, and I don't know if I ever even would have noticed, that, that Paul just exalts Jesus, and then he talks about their plight. Verse 40 and 41, he gives this warning. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a quote from Habakkuk 1.5. He, he says, Look, you scoffers, be astonished, uh, astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. Uh, you know that saying, God works in mysterious ways. I think a better saying for, for that passage and, and, and what Paul is talking about here is God works in shocking ways. Habakkuk, the, the immediate thing that he was looking here at was this work that God was going to bring in Babylon, this godless nation to judge God's people, right? That was a, that was a shocking work to them. And, and Paul's using this. This is a warning. This is a, a judgment. Judgment is coming for those who do not put their faith in Jesus, right? Don't be foolish and think that you know better than this message of salvation that God has sent to you. This work that you wouldn't believe is Jesus laying down his life and then rising again. And Paul's saying, those who scoff at it will perish. They, they will not have life. Turn to Christ and believe. The people respond in verses 42 and following that they want more. They're begging Paul to come back. They're begging Barnabas, come back, share more. And the next Sabbath, the turnout is huge. It sounds like nearly the whole city was there. And, and while there were uh, many, many who were excited, there was also opposition. 
The Jews saw the crowds and it says that they were jealous. They contradicted Paul and Barnabas. And, and of course, Paul and Barnabas didn't back off. They, they spoke boldly in verse 46. They boldly spoke out saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what God had set Paul and Barnabas apart for. Verse 48, um, the Gentiles hear this and they rejoice. Right? Truly, the gospel is good news, and they find out it is for them as well. And they glorify God's word, the word of God spread. And even if you've only been here like every few weeks for sermons in Acts, you've heard this over and over again. The word of God increased, the word of God multiplied, and it's good for us as believers in the Pacific Northwest to read that over and over again, the word multiplied. Even, even when culture... Uh, was, was anti-gospel, even when there was persecution, even when authorities came up against it, more and more people were coming to faith in Jesus. We live in a really weird part of the country, right? And we love it here, right? It is, it is so beautiful. There are a lot of things that we love, but it is a strange part of the country. And, and I wonder, for some of you Christians, I wonder if you just ever feel like you're the only Christian. You're the only Christian in your workplace, or you're the only Christian in, in your apartment complex or, or in your neighborhood. You're the only Christian in your friend group at school. Or, or maybe, truly, you are the only Christian in your family. Right? It, it, is, it, it might seem like God's word is not spreading here. It might be hard to find places where that is happening right here where we live. But man, this is happening across the world, and we need to pray for that to happen here too, right? We need to remember that God is pursuing people. He is saving people. Luke tells us that, that those who are appointed believe. They respond by believing in Jesus. And, and, and there was some opposition that we hear about, but then more opposition comes as Jewish people stirred up prominent men and women in the city, and, and it worked. It, it drove Paul and Barnabas out of the city, and it says they shook the dust off their feet as this testimony against them, and, and that might seem kind of weird to us. I, I think we probably get it, but this is symbolic for Jews separating them, themselves from uncleanness, right? Leaving even the, the unclean dust of that place. And then our passage ends with verse 52. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit, right? We just read the Gentiles, when they realize the good news is for them, they're filled with joy. And here the disciples are filled with joy and the Holy Spirit, right? Those two things, I think, go hand in hand. Joy and the Holy Spirit. Now, I wonder if for some this last season or maybe multiple seasons, if you feel like you've just been robbed of that joy. As believers, we, uh, we're like what Paul writes about in, in 2 Corinthians 6. Uh, we are, we're sorrowful and yet rejoicing. Like Christians, we, we carry that with us everywhere we go. We look around and we see sin, right? We see our own sin. We see the sin of others. And specifically, we see where God is rejected we see where truth is twisted and perverted. We see wretched evil, and that makes us sorrowful. And yet, we are also filled with joy. We know Yahweh. 
We know Jesus is coming again. We know he is pursuing and saving people right now. We know that one day he will gather all of his people, that one day everyone will come to see that Christ is king. One day he will make all things new. So to end, I just ask, do you have joy right now, brothers and sisters in Christ? Or are you so beaten down that, that you only or maybe mostly have sorrow? If that is you, I've been praying for you this week. Just the, the joy that jumps off the page at the end of this passage here. I've just been thinking about people in our body and, and praying for joy for you. I've prayed that, that you wouldn't only be saddened by our world, by the rejection of God and his ways, but that by walking with the Holy Spirit, you would also be filled with joy, that we'd be a people just ready to talk about Jesus, any opportunity that we're given. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Uh, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that, that we have the witnesses, accounts, Lord, of, of our risen Savior. Lord, that we have, we have the, the good news. Man, some of us have a ton of these Bibles in our houses printed out. A lot of us have a, a ton of different versions on our phones. Lord, we have no shortage of access to your word, and I thank you for that, Lord. And I also confess that we probably need to get more excited like those Gentiles did when they heard that the good news was for them too. Lord, would you remind us uh, of, of you, our first love? Would you remind us of the joy that we ought to have in you because we are saved, Lord? And God, for anyone in, in, in the room today or online that, that hasn't decided to follow you yet, Jesus, if, if they're looking at you, if they're, if they're wondering if you truly are who the word says you are, Lord, would you, would you reveal yourself to them? Would you open their eyes to the truth of the gospel? Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.